A number of years ago, I met a man who said to me, if ever I go to the church, it'll fall down. <laughs> so I said, look, I'll give you a hard hat. He still didn't come. Little did I realise how prophetic his words may have been. I'm sure that um, you've come today and you've seen a few changes. Just, just a few little changes. Uh, the demolition has begun. Hallelujah. At last. All the preparations have finished. The demolition has begun. And I am reliably told by Graham, our operations manager, where there's Graham. So if it doesn't happen, Graham, everyone's going to hang on you now. I'm reliably told by Graham that before the work stops over the Christmas break, all the demolition will be complete and the footings for the steel work will begin. Is that right, Graham? Is that what you told me? <laughs> okay, already, already the step back, all right? <laughs> we are hopeful because it's beyond our control now. But we've done as much as we can do and Graham has been magnificent. Do you realise for the last three weeks, I think every day he's been down here coordinating the preparations. So amazing job. Thank you. And I invite you to turn in your scriptures, please. To Luke's Gospel. I'm going to read from Luke chapter 1, verses from 20, verse 26 onward, and then just a few verses in Matthew chapter 1, just to get the picture. Just to get the picture. Luke chapter 1. Commencing to read from verse 26. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. You know, it's the sort of thing that someone says, Hi, you know, it's nice to see you. And you wonder, well, what's coming next? But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Yeshua. The anglicized version is Jesus. The Hebrew is Yeshua, which means he who saves. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked. 
The angel said, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Not a genetic thing. It is a title, a Jewish title of kingship, of divine authority. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. Amen? Amen. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. And Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 21. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but because they came together, before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Yosef, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Yeshua, because he will save his people from their sins. Now, for those of you who are parents, how many of you started a baby book when your children were born? Do they do baby books now? They still do it? Good. Good, because in it, You record every sickness the child has in their early years. You record all their vaccinations and you record the milestones when they first said, da, 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 da. That's a very special one. (laughs) And when they first crawled, when they first stood up, when they took their first steps. A baby's book is a wonderful thing to have. And did you record, did you record when the baby rolled over? When it sat up and crawled? Did you include in the baby book some of those early photos? You know, remember the, hard, the old idea of hard copy photos rather than on a computer? Some, some of the younger ones may not remember a time when you actually printed out a photograph. <laughs> to be sure, some of these special and important times are worth recording. <laughs> and the reason why is so that you can embarrass them on their 21st birthday. Now, this, this one is a hard one to get. Uh, where are you, Jim? Good on you, Jim. And thank you, Ruth. 
<laughs> it looks like Jim, doesn't it? <laughs> you know, the New Testament record of the first Christmas was also one of those special times because it captures the imagination of all who hear it and inspires us as we consider the extent to which God has revealed himself and his love for us. I kind of think that what Luke and Matthew wrote, Mary may have put into Jesus' baby book. Of course, the story of the first Christmas began with two young people whom God chose to be the parents of the Lord Jesus. They were both faithful and godly young people who sought to live their lives honouring God. Culturally, Mary was a young woman of around about 15 to 16 years of age when she would have been betrothed, while Joseph was in his early 20s and beginning to establish himself as a carpenter. And when we're introduced to them, they were betrothed to one another, which simply means more than an engagement. There was a contract of marriage arranged with the parents of both Mary and Joseph, but they had not yet started to live together as a married couple. It was like more than marriage, sorry, it was like more than engaged, but not quite consummated in marriage. It was that in-between time that held force in law. And if you were to break the betrothal, you actually had to get a bill of divorce. It was that kind of commitment that had been made. This would have been a cultural arrangement, not just between two young people, but their families as well. And little did these young people realise, Mary and Joseph, little did they realise the plans and purposes that God had for their future. In our readings this morning, we read how the angel Gabriel, the messenger of God, appeared to Mary. And we know of the angel Gabriel when he first spoke to the prophet Daniel in Daniel chapters 8 and 9 concerning future events, especially of the coming Messiah. And later when he spoke to Zechariah, the priest, who was to become the father of John the Baptist, as recorded in Luke 1, verses 11 to 20. So this angel Gabriel has been busy for quite a while, preparing people for the coming of the Messiah. And on the on the occasion of Gabriel's visitation to Mary, his greeting was both loving and honouring, as well as rather confusing for Mary. Rejoice, highly favoured one, 
The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. It's another way of saying you've been specially singled out by God. We can only imagine a little of what such a visitation would mean to such a young woman whose experience with the world outside her own village of Nazareth would have been rather limited. If we asked some of our young people today as to how they would feel if this happened to them, we would probably hear expressions like scared, shocked, uh, freaked out. And Mary was no different. Mary was no different from a lot of young girls of today. To allay her fears and concerns, Gabriel said, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favour with God. You have found favour with God. What a relief. Tradition would tell us that when God makes first contact with us, it's usually that we have done something wrong and are in big trouble. Gabriel's words, however, were not of condemnation, but blessing and encouragement. Gabriel's next words were to reveal the purpose for this visitation. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Yeshua. What kind of message is this for a young woman? It must have been a huge shock for Mary. Then Gabriel revealed that this baby would be the promised and long-awaited Messiah. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be no end. Mums, for those of you who have had a teenage daughter, how would you feel if an angel came to your daughter when she was about 15 years of age and told her that she was going to have a baby and she had not yet fully entered into marriage? Would you be shocked? Would you be blasé about it? Would you be very concerned. Naturally, Mary questioned how she could become pregnant if she was not yet fully married, if the marriage with Joseph had not yet been consummated. Gabriel's response was simple. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. And this was predicated on a divine fact. In verse 37 we read, 
For with God, nothing will be impossible. Nothing's impossible with God. We live in a relativistic world today, predicated on the fact that, number one, relativists say there is no God, and therefore, number two, there are many things that are impossible. I, for one, am not a relativist. I believe in God and I know that nothing is impossible with God. How I know that is because I'm standing here. That's another story. What could Mary say to all that the angel Gabriel had said? She could have said, <laughs> wait on here, not me. Find someone else. She could have considered what people would think about her and her reputation in the community. And let's face it, 15-year-old girls today are very much consumed in their thinking about what other people might think about them. That's why they've got to wear the latest in labelled clothing. That's why they're experimenting with makeup. That's why young girls are so consumed about how their hair looks every morning. Mary could have said, uh-uh, I'm not doing this because what will other people think of me? But that would have meant going against the will and the purposes of God. And the question is, did she really want to do that? We don't know how long Mary pondered over these words of Gabriel. What we do know is that her response to the call of God was simple and definite. Behold the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. That was her response. If that's what God wants, then I'm okay with that. It was a declaration of faith. A declaration of trust in God. Mary put the will of God for her life above the other concerns of life, including her family and her culture. She put God above her mother and father. Our second reading this morning was from Matthew's Gospel and is the record of the Lord's visitation to Joseph. Now, while we're not told the name of the angel who encountered Joseph, it is most likely that it was, once again, Gabriel, the messenger angel. However, this time, there were a few differences with the situation. This time, Joseph had already become aware that Mary, his betrothed, was pregnant. So... We're talking a few months down the track. 
we assume that this was before the wider community had become aware of as Joseph, aware as Joseph, knowing that he was not the father of the child and was considering the best ways to free himself of his marital obligations. But he did consider Mary because what he was considering was to not endanger her from any societal backlash. You see, in those days, stoning was quite acceptable. If a young woman had broken with the code of society, if she had become pregnant out of wedlock, the assumption was that she was not a very nice woman and therefore they would take her out of the town and they would stone her to death. In some Islamic countries today, similar practices are undertaken even now. It's not a matter of justice. It's a matter of purity. The assumption being that Mary is no longer pure, so they would stone her. Joseph sought to spare Mary. He realised his own situation. As Joseph pondered these things, what would he do? Would he take on Mary and this child of unknown parentage? Would he separate himself from Mary quietly and send her away? Or would he, to justify his own standing in community, lead the pack of those who would stone her? As Joseph pondered this, one night the angel appeared to him in a dream. Why a dream? Well, maybe it's because in our dream state or REM phase of sleep, we can't argue and answer back so easily. It was at this time that the angel directed Joseph. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Yeshua, for he will save his people from their sins. It was a simple command. No discussion, no option for negotiation or explanation. All the information that Joseph was given was that this baby was from God and that was special in the purposes and plans of God. That's all Joseph needed to know. In Matthew chapter 1, verses 24 to 25, we read Joseph's response. As Mary had made her response of faith, so we read of Joseph's response. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn 
Son. And he called his name Yeshua. This was an act of obedience and faithfulness to God. It was simple as that. On the basis of the limited information that he had been given, he stepped out in obedience and faith to God. Brothers and sisters, in every respect, both Mary and Joseph were obedient and faithful to God. They put all family and cultural obligations aside in order to be available to the Lord. Jesus himself said, if you do not put aside your mother and your father and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. Remember that? The other week I talked about that word that's been translated as hate. You, if you do not hate your mother and father. Well, it's actually a mistranslation. It was a, a word denoting highest priority. And Mary and Joseph exemplified that in their response to, the, to Gabriel's commands. You know, we can learn so much from these two young people. The way in which they conducted their lives is a wonderful template of how we should conduct our lives, especially in our relationship with God. So, what are the lessons or some of the lessons we can learn from all this for our lives today? Well, the first one, always be ready to entertain God however and whenever he may want to talk or connect with you. Always be ready to entertain God. I don't mean to put out a cup of tea and bake a cake or anything like that. Always be ready to entertain God means to give attention to him, to listen to him, to heed what he says, to take notice of him. And secondly, God's word is sure and steady and he can be relied upon to always fulfill what he has promised. If you want a reference there, it's Joshua 21.45. When God has a purpose and a plan, he makes promises and his promises can be trusted. Part of the problem in the Western world today is that people are not trusting God anymore. They're happy to give lip service to God, especially when times are getting tough and they say, oh, God, help me. But they're not trusting God day by day. They don't see that what God has said in his word is sure and steady. There's a real lesson for us here today. 
A third lesson, don't expect God to say or do things that, that fit with existing social norms and expectations. So often throughout history, God breaks the moulds. God is not conformed nor constrained by the things of this world. And the records of Scripture reveal that His ways are often mysterious and rather challenging. And that makes a life of faith something that's exciting. Because you never know what God's going to do next. Every tomorrow, every tomorrow is exciting for those who put their trust in God. A fourth lesson, we are more likely to hear and understand what God says to us if we have been living in a consistent faith relationship with him. This was certainly the case with Mary and Joseph and their humility before God made them ready to heed his call for their life. If we have been living in a consistent faith relationship, we're more likely to hear and understand what God is saying to us when he talks. If we've never given God a second thought in our life, when he actually calls, we don't know who's talking to us. And it will just bring confusion. If you live a, a consistent life of daily in the word of God and daily in prayer, when God speaks in that still, quiet voice, you will know. You will know. A fifth lesson. Obedience to the will of God is not something we pick and choose. As such, following the will of God does not mean that we will have a life of comfort and ease, free from the troubles and hassles of life. Not at all. If you want to have an easy life, where everything goes right and nothing goes wrong, don't bother coming into a church and getting to know God. In fact, don't bother walking outside. Well, it's even dangerous inside. Because you never know when a plane's going to land on your roof. Christianity is not an easy life choice. The life of Mary and Joseph was anything but easy and comfortable. There they were. They had to then travel to Bethlehem. Soon after, they had to flee out of Israel and go to Egypt as refugees. And a few years later, or a little while later, they then had to return to Nazareth. Their early years were anything but easy. Nevertheless, they faced all of life's challenges with courage and determination because they knew that the Lord was always with them. And therein is the lesson for us today. The Christian life is not easy. But you're never alone. God is always with you. 
And he will always help you through the toughest of times. The troubles and hassles of life were not roadblocks and hindrances to Mary and Joseph, but opportunities to see what God was going to do next. And that's the same for you and me. A sixth lesson. We need to be ready to be called and used by God whenever He chooses. And not merely when it's convenient for us. When God does call, we don't say to him, oh, hold on, wait a minute, look, um, I need to just check on a few other things. I've got some uh, other business to do. No, when God calls, that's when our response is required, then and there. He called the disciples by the Sea of Galilee. And what did they do? They immediately left their nets and they followed him. When God calls, he's asking for an immediate response from us. And Mary and Joseph did not hesitate to be available to God when he called. And neither should we. As the angel Gabriel said to Mary, for with God nothing will be impossible. Faith is trusting God to do the impossible when he chooses. Faith is the key to any and every true relationship with God. And faith is not simply a matter of saying, oh, I believe in God. That's not faith. Faith is an action. Faith doesn't belong up here. Faith belongs here. That's faith. When God calls, you walk. Faith is not an intellectual proposition. It's an action in obedience to the call of God. Religion, ritual and tradition are merely outward shows of the faith that should abide within. Brothers and sisters, as we prepare ourselves to enjoy and celebrate another Christmas season, let's not get caught up in the glitz and salesmanship of Christmas. Instead, let us reflect on the real and enduring message of Christmas, the glad tidings of Gabriel, who heralded the coming of the Lord Jesus into the world, that through him all people might be saved. That's the message of Christmas. Not trees, not baubles, not presents, not gluttony, but the message of the angel Gabriel heralding the coming of Jesus. And he will bring forth and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Yeshua, for he will save his people from their sins. That's what Christmas is about. Get that. Celebrate that.
Also, nine months later, as the angel declared to the shepherds in the fields outside Bethlehem, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. The angels of the Lord were busy, weren't they? For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Saviour, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. Brothers and sisters, this is the real message of Christmas. This year, may we celebrate Christmas with the message of the angels on our lips. And may we give all thanks, praise, honour and glory to God. He alone is worthy. Let's pray. Father God, once again we have read the story and we thank you that we have the freedom in this country to read the real message of Christmas. Thank you for the freedoms that we enjoy. And we pray, Father, that we will not just keep this message to ourselves. We pray, Father, that we will have the courage in our family gatherings, in our work gatherings, wherever we are, to draw people's attention to the real reason for our celebration. The birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who came to save us from our sin. To restore us in a right relationship with God Almighty. To him be the glory, honour and praise. Amen. We're going to continue in our celebration and we're going to sing a song, Mary's Boy Child. Following the song, I'm going to ask you to sit again because we're going to just have the short business meeting. For those who are guests with us today, we invite you...